say that again. So we're continuing on in our series in the letter of 1 John and uh, looking at light and love and what John tells us about walking in authentic faith. And uh, we're looking at that second word uh, from today and a few times coming uh, in, the, in the weeks to come about the word love. And uh, when we look at love, it's just such a, a lovely word. The world love, loves love. We love love. And uh, if you asked someone to, to speak about some of the virtues that we should carry as people, believers or unbelievers, I, I bet you few people would uh, say, you know what we should really pursue is, is hate. Uh, I've done a few weddings, but I, I can imagine how awkward it would be if I got up uh, and, and decided to impart wisdom on them on how to grow in hate. Or, or uh, if we went to the movies and we, we, we watched the new critically acclaimed movie, Eat, Pray, Hate, it would just be ridiculous. We know that there's just something in us that resonates with love. It's in the books we read. Uh, it's in the movies we watch. It's in the songs we sing. The Beatles would have never wrote and written a song called All You Need Is Hate. It's, it's ridiculous. It would have never become a classic. Whitney Houston doesn't sing I Will Always Hate You. Beyonce doesn't sing about being drunk in hate. It, it's ridiculous. And uh, there's a song by, if you like your dance music, uh, Calvin Harris, called How Deep Is Your Love. That, that, that title would sort of, sort of be about what John is encouraging us today as, as the church, as his people. How deep is our love for one another? And, and that's what he's uh, encouraging us with today. We just know we have a, a gravitational pull in our hearts to want love and desire love and pursue love. And his encouragement to us as his church is that this would be what we pursue as his people. Uh, as we continue to pursue each other in relationships. So if you have your Bible, would you turn, turn to 1 John chapter 3? I'm going to be reading for us from verse 11 until verse 18. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because, our love, because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He, that's Jesus, laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has, any, has the world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your word. We pray this morning that you would quicken our hearts to receive your encouragement and recalibration to us. We pray that we would be fueled by the gospel again this morning to love each other. We thank you for this just apt and prophetic word to us as we begin gathering again, that you are calling us above all else to deeply love each other. 
We pray, God, that you would fan that into flame, that you would help us work this principle out, uh, and that uh, this church would uh, be blessed and be a blessing to each other by the love that you are growing within us as your people. Amen. So John has written this letter to his church, and as I said in the beginning, he's helping us figure out what it means to walk in authentic faith. Uh, he's dealt with several topics, and last week, Doug spoke about uh, righteousness. Uh, and verse 10 ends saying this, Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. And so that's, that's sort of what we're going into this morning, that these things are like a mirror for us to look into, that we would grow in a confidence of, in our faith and uh, be able to assess ourselves and grow in what God is calling us to be as His church and encouraging us with in His Word. And so as we look at today this test of love, I'm going old school uh, Baptist. I've got three points. And uh, I'm looking at the posture of love the proclamation of love, and then we'll deal with some of the practicals of love. So the posture of love. It's pretty clear that in this passage, John is encouraging us that this is the default Christian position, that Christians are defined by love. But here's the thing that I love about John, and is that he's very honest, and he knows that we don't always get it right, that while we are defined by love in the gospel, the way we treat each other and uh, the way we relate isn't always covered in love. We, we can get this wrong, sin still reigns in our hearts, and, and we, can, we can go a hundred other directions. And so he gives us the options of how we can relate to each other. The first way is the most extreme way, the furthest away from love, and he speaks about murder. It gives us the example of Cain, verse 11 and 12. We should love each other, unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Now, this comes from the Old Testament in Genesis 4. Cain and Abel, these are Adam and Eve's, two of Adam and Eve's kids. And the story is about um, them making a sacrifice to God. And Abel makes a sacrifice to God. It's a costly one. It's a good one. And um, we are told in the text that it is accepted by God and it is credited to him as righteousness. But Cain, on the other hand, tries to cut some corners. And he, he offers up a, a substandard offering. Uh, and we're told that uh, his sacrifice is rejected and uh, he, he doesn't get anything credited to him as righteousness. And this um, actually fuels a, a relationship between the brothers. And in Cain's heart grows bitterness and resentment and anger. And it grows and it festers if eventually until he uh, lures his brother out into the field and he kills him. Now look, I know church can get complex and at times it might cross your mind. But... Um, that is not what we should be doing as a church. John is encouraging us just as this example. That's the most extreme, furthest away we can get. And his point is this happened because Cain was of the evil one. However, we are not of the evil one. We have a new identity. We are positioned spiritually very different. And we are now children of God. And we have been brought into his love. So this cannot be how we treat each other. Okay, John, so I'm not murdering anyone. Does that mean I'm abounding in love? Well, there's a few other options. Next option he gives us is the option of hate. In, in verse 12 and 13, he says, 
Cain murdered his brother. And it's very interesting what he, how he actually says this. He says, Cain murdered his brother because he was of the devil. And then he says, very next verse, so don't be surprised if the world hates you. So he's reminding us we're different as God's people and we can expect to receive hate, but don't be a hater. We're going to receive hate, but don't be a hater. Because Christians have been changed to love. Now remember, he's writing to the church. He's talking about how we ought to relate to one another. From the outside in, we can expect hate. Don't be surprised the world hates you. But within our walls, hate is not an option. Now I know we might, we might not be saying, well, look, I'm not that much of a hater. I'm not sure. What does it even mean to hate? How, what, what bad is hate? It doesn't do anything to the other person. Well, listen to what John says, verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. He says it's so strong. He says that hate is murder of the heart because hate is wishing that someone never existed. So you're murdering people in our hearts when we hate them. Now, this is quite extreme because I don't think any one of us uh, off the bat would agree or, or, or admit that we, that we hate people. But this starts small and it grows. It starts with frustration. It starts with disappointment. It starts with resentment, bitterness, envy, jealousy, personal conflicts, preference, opinions, hurt feelings. And when we let those go unresolved and undealt with, when we let those go unconfessed, when we let them fester, when we give them space in our hearts to grow, that's where it eventually leads. We're against the person in our heart. It's as if we treat them like they didn't exist and we wish they actually weren't in our space. John calls that murder. It's, it's extreme. He, he's trying to help us recognize what this is like. And 1 Peter 4.8 says something so encouraging for us here because there will always be opportunity. There will always be uh, sin present. There will be 109 things to hold against each other because we're humans and we're sinful and we sin against each other. 1 Peter 4.8 says, above all, right, above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. He's not saying that sins won't exist. He's saying they will exist. But what should exist even more than that is our love for one another. Our love for one another covers that. It covers that. It helps us live at peace in friendship. It helps us keep serving each other and acting towards each other in love. Okay, maybe you're saying, well, I'm not a murderer. Okay, that's a good thing. Tick. You don't hate anyone. Okay, that's great. Tick. But maybe you would admit, like me, we're often not on the side of uh, love. We're just sort of in that middle ground of indifference. And John sort of gives us a platform for this, but not really. And I'll get there just now. But let's look at verse 17. He says, if anyone has this world's goods, right, this world's goods, and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? So you've got the world's goods, right, the, the world's goods, everything. And you, with, you see your brother or sister in need, and, and you withhold compassion from him. How does God's love reside in him? That, that Greek there for withholds compassion is um, explaining a closed-heartedness. 
not necessarily just being closed off like a, a, an actively negative thing, just that your heart isn't open to them. You're just sort of indifferent. Now, look, we love to uh, view indifference as a legitimate position of how we can uh, and are able to relate to people. And there's even that quote that says something like, the opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. I think John doesn't leave that option open to us. Because what John is saying, and we'll get there again a bit later, he defines love as active, sacrificial love that changes a person's life in front of us. And he's saying when he says withhold compassion, if you have the world's goods, but you choose not to give them, that's an act of withholding compassion. You see how he's defining love as an active thing that actually changes someone's life or withholds um, blessing from them? So he's not saying that you can either hate love or be indifferent. He's saying we either love practically or we hate. Those are the two options because we're either actively involved in each other's lives, blessing each other, or the opposite. And this is an encouragement to us, but it's also a deep challenge because this is the love that we are called to as the church. So what does he say then? What does the posture of love look like? It says this in verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. So love is at the center of a saved life. Unlike Cain, who was of the devil uh, and, and murdered, we are spiritually alive, alive, and that enables love. Church, we need God to get into us, to turn us inside out, to love each other. It's not going to just come from moralistic behavior modification and grit, although um, initiative and intentionality and effort is part of it. We need something far deeper. We need a changed life. And so what John is, is, is saying to us, and this is so crucial, is that the posture of love in the Christian heart isn't something we have to strive to attain. It's something you are, so live it. Right? You're not trying to act love to be defined by love. You are defined by love in the gospel. So let's live defined by love. That difference is crucial. We're not living for love. We're living from love. We're living from love. This is encouraging to our hearts. And so he gets to the gospel. Because he, he, he doesn't just want to say, okay, we should love and now go do it. He says we should go love. Here's the gospel. Marinate in it. Celebrate it. Receive it afresh. And now be empowered to go live differently. And so he tells us, let's look at the second point about the proclamation of love. Verse 16, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. So we should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Just, just look at that bit by bit, the first bit, about the proclamation of God's love to us. He, John is defining it in the cross, and he's showing us something amazing here. This is really cool if you're a Bible nerd. He's saying that hate is typified by Adam's son. Love is typified by God's son. 
This is really amazing. That's why he brings in Cain. He's showing us a, a difference here that the cross, Jesus, what he did for us, that is the very definition of love. It, it shows God's love for us, his active pursuit of us, that while we were in rebellion, running away from him, rejecting him, Romans 5, 8, God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ's death proves his love. He doesn't wait for you to get your act together. He doesn't wait for you to be good enough to earn his grace. We couldn't even if we wanted to. He comes for us and dies for us in our place. He died for all our mess to make us right for God. He, he demonstrates his sacrificial love for us by dying for us in our place. The, the cross we deserved, he takes it for us. Friends, quite literally, Jesus loved us to death. And Billy Graham, one of the world's uh, most famous evangelists, he says that when Christ hung and bled and died, it was God saying to a world, I love you. John 15, 13, Jesus says the exact same thing. He says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. See, the cross defines love. It defines the extent of God's love. Instead of smiting us, resetting, and starting over, he, 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 he um, recognizes in his holiness and in his love that he has to, in his grace, come and take the cost for us. And so that's what he does. He comes not to fix us, to help us sort of get better and earn his grace, but to save us and give it before we've even done anything. You and I can come to God broken and with the empty hands of faith and receive that grace. Maybe for the first time, if you're joining us online or, or here today, but we can receive it afresh all the time. This is the good news of the gospel. There is no one too far gone for God. There is no one out of his reach. His love is pursuing you and wants you. You are what he's running after in his grace. And we trust that his heart is for his people who he is moving towards to save. So what does John encourage us within in the second half? He says, okay, now that you've orientated your heart around the gospel, now that you have stirred yourself to feel and, and know in a deep way, again, the gravity of the gospel, the gravity of God's pursuit over you, now we should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. It'd be important to note that when this passage is speaking about love, it's talking about the agape love. There's, there's several different kinds of loves uh, love in the New Testament with specific words and specific meanings. This agape love is about uh, sacrificial love. This like family love that God has and that he's calling us to have for each other. It, it's, a specifically, it's a specific love reserved for those uh, closest to you, like, like a family kind of love. And it's defined by sacrifice like we see in the gospel. Now, this is an encouragement and it's a challenge to us because as, we, as I said in the beginning, we know that we don't always pursue this. And the church can become defined by a hundred other things. I just want to encourage us by reading Revelation 2. 
And this is so challenging because uh, in the early chapters of Revelation, we see that um, Jesus is speaking to seven churches in, in, the, in Revelation. And he's got a specific word to each of those churches. Uh, most of them include an encouragement and a correction. Uh, and when he speaks to the church in Ephesus, he, he has a lot to encourage them with. He says this, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. Okay, you're protecting the church. Well done. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you have not grown weary. Well done, guys. You are nailing it. You're defined by maturity and strength. You, you are casting out uh, false teachers. You, you are just solid in me. And here's his encouragement. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you've fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Isn't it so interesting that Jesus is saying, amen, you are solid and mature, but even in the midst of that, you're, you're missing it. Because what you need to be more than anything else, dear church, is a, is a people of love. If we're missing love, we're missing everything. We're missing what God is calling us to. He's calling us back to passion for Him and compassion for each other. As we, as we sit under the proclamation of God's love for us again in the gospel and as we proclaim love for each other and how we treat each other. So then the question comes, all right, we've orientated ourselves around the gospel. How do we actually go about loving each other? And uh, I'm going to just uh, mention five things here. Let's talk about the practicals of love. The first thing is that it starts at home. See what John says? He, he's writing to a church, and his encouragement is that uh, this church and our church and every church would, before anything else, be defined by love. As I said, we're going to come back to this again and again throughout the book. It's just, it is so important for us as a community. He's saying this, this thing starts at home. It's an in-house thing before anything else. Because we can get it right and love people outside our walls. But if we can't do it here, we might just be faking it. We might just be hypocrites. We might just be missing the point just a relational concern for each other. I think days like this, where there's people in the room, five and a half months of not being together, there is just an excitement in my heart to see you guys, to be together, something that online just cannot do uh, in my heart. And it's, it's just, I, I feel stirred this morning in my heart for us, for us all. That, that, that's something that he's calling us to, that this is a home thing before it's anything else. And that God would open our eyes to be aware, to, to, to see the need in our body, and to care for each other in practical concern. Uh, maybe just one invitation and encouragement uh, is that at the beginning of lockdown, we started our compassion initiatives, and uh, we started a fund to, to help those most in need in our community. Uh, one of the things we did, we also started a relief fund for those within our church who have struggled. And it's been uh, amazing just to see the response from many of you um, in, in contributing to that. 
And it's been such a blessing for us to be able to care for uh, those within our church, often in very simple, very practical ways, but in ways that are so needed. As this pandemic has stripped people of income, jobs, uh, just uh, the mental health that, that we're seeing that is becoming a struggle, the emotional well-being, a hundred other things that we can, in very practical ways, just buy someone gross, like groceries for the month or, or just you know, do little things that are an expression of us loving each other in sacrificial agape ways. And I just love to encourage you, if you're at home and you want to make a contribution to that relief fund, it's, it's an easy but beautiful expression of what we can do. I also encourage us to decentralize it and make it your mission to just have eyes of blessing when it comes to this church, your church. This is your church. Who can we be a blessing to? Who is in need? What can we do to help uh, love each other? This is not something we have to do. It's, it's something we get to do, right? God has drawn us together and, and gathered his people in his grace. This is a gift that we get to love each other like this. And uh, I know um, we maybe wouldn't uh, associate ourselves too much with the circle of churches that use this phrase, but there's that beautiful phrase that we want to be a people that have a heart for the house, right? A, a heart for the house. We, we want that. It's like we want all of us to just realize the depth of this amazing gift of church and to practice this love at home before anything else. <clears throat> Second thing is that this is a self-sacrificial ex expression of care. It's a self-sacrificial expression of care. John says that we ought to lay down our lives for each other. There's just a willingness to surrender what benefits me in order to care for and bless someone else who I can see is in need. It could be many things. It could be money. It could be time. It could just be being with them, presence. Just your presence with people can be the most beautiful expression of care. Maybe especially in this time of loneliness and depression and anxiety and all of the weight that this season is having on us. How can we be loving each other in self-sacrificial ways? This is challenging because we know the number, thing, number one thing that um, keeps us from loving each other is ourselves. We get in the way. Our pride, uh, our own um, you know, self-centeredness and selfishness, uh, or maybe even what we spoke about earlier, our bitterness or resentment. We've got to deal with those things. I mean, people that are pressing into each other actively as we do lay down our lives for each other. I know all of you uh, just don't have enough work, and so you need more homework. I know it in my heart. And I would encourage you just this week, go do a word search for the one another verbs of the New Testament. Just search for one another and read, read all the things it says. It's so encouraging what God is calling us to as his people to be involved in the lives of each other. There's so many beautiful verbs about serving each other. There's so many ways to apply this, but the principle is clear. Love is not noble, it's normal. It's not a thing that extra super Christians are called to. This is the normal thing of the Christian life. It's challenging, it's hard, but again, we are not striving to earn love or to uh, reach love. We are already saved in love. Now let's live in love. Third thing, this, this love is, is inherently practical. 
verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. It's not just talk the talk. Sometimes we can get in that uh, loop of just talking the talk. Let's walk the walk. Not just offering up lip service and saying the nice things and making uh, big promises and things like that. But practically, how do, how do you show someone that you love them? Because here's the thing, love shows up in action. Talk alone can be beautiful, but it doesn't sacrifice anything. I just want to maybe uh, encourage us here, but I know for millennials, we, we love getting involved in hashtags uh, and social media and stuff, which is beautiful and often appropriate as it uh, shows just a concern uh, and a love. But uh, more than that, as we look within our own local church, we want to be people that practically change the lives of some because often, as we know, social media, while it can be beautiful in a hundred ways, it can be deceptive to us because we can think that we're loving someone because we tweeted a hashtag with really no one's lives in front of us has been blessed and changed. So maybe just two questions. Whose lives, whose names are we going to try hard uh, to love this week? Who can we see needs some encouragement, some help, some resourcing, some uh, groceries, whatever it is? Whose names and how are we planning on loving them practically? Let's not get uh, duped by the uh, false um, confidence of what we can appear to be uh, via online uh, social media. <clears throat> Just be people of love, but practical as love shows up in real ways. Fourth thing, we love with actions, but also with feelings. With also with feelings. Sometimes when we talk about agape, sacrificial love, it can come across as a cold, duty-bound thing. It can come across as obligation. And that is not at all what we are called to. You look throughout the New Testament church and you'll see an affection for each other. You'll see a, a genuine, deep excitement to see each other. A, a, a genuine concern for each other. Just a, a deep family love. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 13.3. This is the famous love chapter, and it says, just one of the verses, verse 3, it says, If I give everything I have to the poor, and if I surrender my body to the flames, yet lack love, I am nothing. Right? So if I give everything I have to the poor, Acts 2, if, if, if I die for you, but if I lack love, I'm nothing. Again, we can do a hundred good things, a hundred important things, but there is none more important than love for each other. Church is to be a place of genuine affection. And I remember being part of, of, of a church gathering many, many, many years ago in my youth, and a, a bit of a fight broke out, and one of the guys says, I love you, but I don't like you. Uh, and we know what that's like. I think we've all felt that. I love you, but I don't like you. Maybe in our hearts we would say, I don't like you, and I don't love you. But there, you know, we need to be people who like each other and love each other. Because, and here's, here's the important thing. We are not friends with a common interest, like a rotary club or a book club or golf club or whatever. We're not friends with a common interest. We're family with a common identity. We're gathered by something much bigger than just a, a hobby or, or some other interest that we love. We have a different identity. We're not friends gathered out of a common interest with family gathered around a common identity, the person and work of Jesus 
Christ. And so we have more in common with each other than with our best friends and family who, who maybe don't believe. Uh, this is an encouraging thing. We should love the world. We should love unbelief, of course, of course. But there is something unique about what God has done in gathering his church. Would God grow that in us? We're not just actions, but also with feelings, that we would genuinely love each other, that we'd have a heart for each other, that we would uh, just take that uncomfortable step of getting to know each other, of, of, of growing not just in being friendly, but in being friends, as we work our way out in love toward each other. I just pray that after this season, it's coming to a close and the church doors open again and, and we can sort of get back to normal, uh, that people who might join us or visit us for the first time would walk in here and feel a sense of warmth, a sense of family, a sense of acceptance, love, that there wouldn't be a, what we often experience when we go to a place where we don't know people. A lot of, will they like me, won't they like me, and a lot of awkwardness, a lot of standing in the corner just pretending to be very busy on your phone but that there would be love, there would be people who just have a warmth among us. Last thing, that this love, this church love, is an evangelistic declaration of the gospel. It's an evangelistic declaration of the gospel. It puts the gospel on display. In John 17, 21 to 23, Jesus is about to be uh, arrested and and the, and the whole Easter weekend is about to happen. Uh, and he prays for his church. And he says this, May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me, so that they may be com made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me. And have loved them as you have loved me. A few chapters before that, in John 13, Jesus says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Love, it puts the gospel on display. So just as we close today and we, we head into worship, I want to just say two things. One, if there is anything in our hearts against someone else, uh, in this church particularly, but in any other believer, uh, and obviously anyone, that we would be dealing with that. But for the sake of the church, for the sake of love in the church, resentment, bitterness, frustration, anger, disappointment, all those feelings, if we let them go undealt with, it will poison the unity, community, and love we have for each other. And it must get dealt with swiftly. Leaving it alone, they will tend to fester, if you ignore it, it becomes a problem. Deal with it. Acknowledge it. If you have to go speak to the person, do that. But confess it to God. Repent. Ask Him to help you change. Ask Him to deal with it. Pray for the people. We know how that changes our hearts towards them. We have to deal with this. We can't be a people of love and a people of resentment or bitterness or whatever it is at the same time. Let's be working through that stuff. Lastly, let's rejoice in the gospel afresh. In the next chapter of John, where it will be coming up, John reminds us we love, we only love each other because he first loved us. And we have to again rejoice in the gospel. 
that Jesus has come to love you, that Jesus has come to lay down his life for you, that his heart is for you, pursuing you, wanting to forgive you, wanting to pour out his compassion and mercy and grace on your life. Let's be people who rejoice afresh in the gospel. Thank you, Jesus. Who am I? Thank you, God, that you came for me, died for me, purchased me, that I belong to you, that I'm safe in you, that you have brought us all the way home. Let's pray together, and then we're going to worship. Jesus, thank you for the incredible gospel that uh, you have brought us all the way home, that there is nothing we can do to earn you, that there is nothing we can do to be good enough for you, and there is nothing uh, we, we need to do to even uh, maintain salvation, but that you empower us by your Spirit to grow in our walk with you. And we just want to pray that this morning, again, you would help us again rejoice in the gospel afresh, uh, to uh, just deeper in our hearts, be overcome with your grace for us in the gospel, that you have indeed come to lay down your life for us, to win us and purchase us for yourself, to uh, forgive us for our sins and to make us yours and to bring us all the way to God. You have done it all and we get it all. And we're so thankful for that, Father. We pray this morning as well as we um, just rejoice in the gospel that there would be a renewing work and refreshing work in us uh, as you give us a renewed heart for each other. We pray that um, you would uh, keep us from from theory, loving each other in theory to, to, and, and enable us to love each other in practice as we move towards each other in concern and love and as we self-sacrificially uh, actively pursue each other uh, in pouring out the same love you've given to us to each other. We pray that this would be a picture of beauty and compelling a gospel a declaration to the world and to uh, the parks area we pray that uh, you would put the gospel on display through Parker's Community Church and how we love each other. We're so thankful for your grace. Uh, and this morning we just celebrate what you have done for us afresh, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for the gospel. Let's worship together.